0: You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Uh, I have some notes. It's a time travel story told both forwards and backwards. Nice, I love Nolan. What's the hook? A new IMAX sci-fi blockbuster from the mind of Christopher Nolan. Hit me. Hey, Greg, I have a movie pitch for you.
1: Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the podcast where we mediocre films, and offer thoughts on how to improve them. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. Can you... Greg, Greg, we gotta lower the audio mix. It, it's way too loud. Lower. Sorry, Sorry lower. buddy. Sorry. There, there we go. There. Hello. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today, we are discussing the 2020 film, Tenet. Uh, but first, we are uh, joined by a guest today. Uh, my friend and friend of the podcast—you uh, remember him from the Detective Pikachu episode—also a member of the Debutantes and the GM of the Quantum Kickflip Quantum Kickflip podcast, Robin Slack is here.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me back on.
1: Thanks for coming.
2: Yeah, always, especially when we get to talk about about time travel. This is my absolute favorite type of story and type of uh, type of flick. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, Timey, whimey
1: stuff is your bag, eh? Yeah, Absolutely. as soon as Greg, uh, Greg was like, we, we should do Tenon at some point, it's on Crave now. I'm like, we gotta, then we gotta have Robin on, is how that
0: goes. <laughs> we'll have to remember that you're the time travel guy when we do our next time travel movie. I, oh man, if I can become the time travel guy <laughs> for the show, that's all I've ever aspired <laughs>
2: to. It's great. Um, yeah, no, I've I've uh, written a couple of uh, fringe shows that revolve around time travel stuff, and and I'm very just fascinated with the like storytelling possibilities. I feel like time travel is one of the few like things that's a genre, but also like a structural tool of storytelling that like it it allows you to do stuff that you like legitimately can't do in other stories, and I think it's really cool. Um, and and it is used to. Uh, a
1: range of effects in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point that it's like both a genre and Because like, technically, The Lake House and Avengers uh, Endgame are both in the same genre. In that regard. <laughs> yeah, this movie had... There's, uh, it's hard to... You know, you always want to compare it to, to time travel stuff. But uh, I'll, I'll save that thought. Because um, mostly the time travel thing that also is on my mind, I've been watching lately, was uh, Loki. Uh, so so far so good i laughed out i laughed out loud i immediately empathized with him as a character they like they found a way to like definitely be like here's him as a person you can relate to uh without ever completely shattering the uh, god of uh god of mischief uh motif um so yeah
0: i love the the brief moment of doubt he has in that pilot episode when he's asked uh uh, do you know if you are a uh, if you were born a biological creature or if you are secretly a robot? And he's like, "Oh God, what if I was a robot and didn't know it?" <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. perfect.
1: I, uh... Might mind the spoilers, but yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun line. <laughs>
0: it's, well, it's it's the first episode only, and by the time this podcast lands, I'm assuming most people who have seen, yeah. who are interested in seeing Loki, will days. have seen the first episode. Yeah, so. <laughs> And that is a that is a minor joke. Yeah. I, know, yeah.
2: <laughs> I watched through it with my wife, Lena, and I also appreciated the, like, character development and the way they make him empathetic, but at a certain point, Lena was, like, uh, he was watching through his, like, uh, again, we'll get into too many spoilers, but they really do a good job of, like, we've taken a Loki out of a different point in the timeline so we need to catch him up to the Loki that we know so that it's not confusing that, like, wait, this Loki didn't go through any of that, so they have to, like, kind of retcon him back into the same version of Loki in a way, and they do it in a way that's both clever and, like, a little bit like, oh, okay, guys, come on.
0: Also, the the TVA have weapons that literally retcon people. Yeah. <laughs> which is terrifying. Um, yeah, I, I will say I really like the aesthetic of the show. Um, I like... I like weird, one of the things that I like besides time travel stuff is weird uh, bureaucratic conspiracies. So things like the SCP Foundation and the Video Game Control and the Men in Black se- uh, movie series appeal to me because of the the weird Byzantine uh, conspiracy bureaucracy. And so the TVA just is hitting all the right buttons for me. It's just like, yes, I like this. I enjoy this very
3: much. <laughs> I was thinking as you guys talking we're talking about like essentially heroes and that I, I, I wonder if they're just inherently easier to write for. There's a lot of good examples of of villains uh turning face, as it were. <laughs> um you know, and, and and I wonder if that's uh, from a writer's perspective, that must be uh, something that you're excited to chew on because you've already got a character that is Comes with a whole bunch of flaws. Yeah, Whereas when you're writing, so. when you're writing a superhero, like especially someone who's supposed to be altruistic, like Superman, which is fairly difficult because he's <laughs> he's kind of canonically fa- flawless in some ways, right? So uh, it, you know, when you when you get to write like a Joker movie or something like that, you might be uh, much more interested in uh, in getting that done than you would be uh, maybe even a, a very very super famous superhero. I did find it kind of funny
2: that they they made a Joker movie when like I kind of felt like The Dark Knight was essentially a Joker movie. Like you could tell that the writers were way more excited to tell the Joker's story in that movie than Batman's. Oh, for sure. We, like we already got one, and then they were like, "What if we did a movie about the Joker and his aspirations?" And like we had
0: that. It was really good. Did you not? Did you not see it? <laughs> uh, on, honestly, my my dream comic pitch. Uh... Which I've I've bandied about a couple times, but I mean, would I? I'm a nobody. DC's not going to take my letters. Is an ongoing Riddler series where Riddler turns face, and uh, and does like Sherlock Holmes stuff. Uh, Most and he does it for selfish reasons because he wants to be a better detective than Batman. But he like solves crimes and helps people. That was that was going to
3: be my good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I
0: kind (laughs) of dig that. I mean, maybe some element of that
2: will uh, will make it into that new Batman flick that's supposed to have Riddler in it, if it ever
0: ever is accessible to nope. us. No, do do not can want he, that. I want to write my comic. DC,
3: call me. <laughs> can he only can he only be interested in crimes involving riddles? And
1: well, like I mean, anytime someone comes to him with Riddler a crime so that's not
3: riddle based, he's like, no, thank you. Well,
1: that,
0: <laughs> like that's that would certainly be part of it. He'd only take the cases that are the most puzzling because he's the Riddler. Um, yeah. so like mundane crime would just be beneath him. And like the, the, the concept had Batman kind of looming in the background because Batman doesn't trust that he's actually trying to, ter- to do good. Um, but Batman wouldn't really, Batman wouldn't really be around. And I'd give him like a supporting cast of people who were there to help him out. Like his, his Baker street, irregular group. Uh, it would be, it would be good time.
2: That's such a good concept that I'm, I'm astounded it hasn't been done. It's like, as soon as you say it, like, I I don't mean to like diminish it because I never would have thought of it. But as soon as you say it, it's like, Oh, that's obvious. Why would you not like, how does
0: that not exist? Jesus. (laughs) But it's, well, it's what Greg was talking about though. It's the anti-hero. It's the, the villain who's turned face, but comes with a whole bunch of baggage and has to deal with that while trying to do good. And that's, that's basically the premise of my other
3: idea. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Greg, what have you, uh, what have you been watching? Uh, I, just recently wrapped up watching Mayor of Easttown. You may have heard of it because everyone was talking about it, so mm-hmm. um, I, I I'm not gonna go into the details of the show except to say that it's 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 very good. If you if you enjoyed um, something like uh Broadchurch with uh, David Tennant and Jody Foster, um, I think you'll get a a lot out of uh, Mayor of East Town, but um, I think what I appreciated most about the miniseries is that um, it finds a way of making um, really awful people engaging. Um, I've I've recently watched uh, um, several like TV series and movies that like write characters who are just horrible people and no redeeming qualities. Uh, I'm thinking of stuff like Sharp Objects, where the watching the series is almost punishing <laughs> because the characters <laughs> are so awful uh, and it gets to be a bit of a slog to try and, and get through um I, so I appreciated Mayor of Easttown where it's like these there's like almost every character has some pretty major flaws but there's enough uh levity and sort of uh, under you know you get a good sense of like yeah these people have rough lives they live in a rough place uh but you know they're they're also human and there's a lot of dimensions to them they aren't just awful horrible people <laughs> so I I give East town a lot of check marks just for that nice so that's what I was watching Robin do you do you have anything that uh, you've been watching recently yeah uh I mean.
2: Often, uh, my wife and I work kind of afternoons and evenings, and so by the time we get, like, get to the end of the night and can, like, watch a thing, we're often pretty burned out uh, and don't have the headspace to watch something. Like, if it's something good that we've heard good things about, it's like, well, let's not watch it now because we don't have the brain capacity to appreciate this, Uh, which has led to a trend of watching bad movies on purpose that will just, like... You know, something that will be big and dumb and fun and not require too much thought. So Reign of Fire was the most recent (laughs) in that trend, which I hear you guys have done on the show before. Yeah, Um, we found some pretty decent fixes
0: for it, too. I'll have to
2: go back and take a listen to that. I actually, I liked it better than I thought I would, um, because I've seen it, like, back when it came out, and and it didn't leave much of an impression. But it, uh, yeah, I I think it's one of those movies that has, like, a better concept than execution. But, like, there's some fun stuff in there. I, I admire it for taking big swings. I also really appreciate any movie that feels like the director had one shot in mind that he wanted to get and then reverse engineered a whole movie just to get him <laughs> yeah. up to that shot. Uh, I feel like I'm trying to think of... Uh, There's the famous thing about the producer who made the Superman movie and uh, who was going to make the the Superman yeah. movie and he wanted the big giant spider behind the gate. This is a Kevin Smith thing. Um, yeah. And like basically reverse engineered two different movies to get to a point of like I just want to have this giant spider scene that's what's in my brain and I feel like Reign of Fire has that moment with Matthew McConaughey jumping off a giant tower swinging an axe into the head of a dragon and just like <laughs> clearly you had that in your brain and then you're like how do we get here how do we how do we guide our movie to a point where this scene can happen because that one was the only one that really felt like it had like an auteur, like a, a, an, an eye for the cinematography. Everything else was very workmanlike, but that one was like, oh, you've thought about this one. This has lived in your brain <laughs> that, for years. That was <laughs> the money shot of the movie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The money shot
0: is the perfect way of putting it. Anyways, that's that's my, that's my recent movie experience.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I uh, I had watched Loki the same day that I watched Tenet, and having watched another time travel thing, I decided, well, I should, I should watch another spy thing. Um, so I finally got around to watching 1984's Top Secret by the team who brought you Airplane, starring a young, baby-faced Val Kilmer. And uh, it is not as good as Airplane. Um, <laughs> uh, like, it's a, it's a serviceable spy spoof. It's got some funny bits. Uh, it's got their signature kind of visual humor. So there's a lot of, like, uh, playing with expectation in the way a scene is composed. Like, there's a... Like a scene where there's a phone ringing in the foreground and a guy walks up to it, but the phone is actually giant and he picks up the the receiver <laughs> um stuff like that so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good gags, but it just the whole movie doesn't really hang together the way airplane does, and there's no real standout performance the way airplane has some some like really top-notch comedic actors in there.
2: Val Kilmer isn't a, a top-notch comedic performance? Actually,
0: Kells he's the not bad actually in the movie. If I'm perfectly honest, he he demonstrates some decent comedic chops in the film. Nobody's nobody's bad in the movie. Peter Cushing is in the movie. In like a one oh, scene dang. and it's Peter Cushing. <laughs> um <laughs> so like it's it's got a decent cast. They're all decently funny. It's just there's nothing Nothing really jumped out. Like, there, I won't remember it the way that I can practically quote Airplane if I'm watching it again, right?
2: That's fair. I do think it, Val Kilmer's underrated. We watched Willow recently on a similar <laughs> night to Reign of Fire, and hey, it holds up. He's, he's got some good stuff going on in there. You know who's I not underrated?
0: Christopher <laughs> Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed.
2: He is ex- uh, rated under- exactly where he should be. <laughs> <laughs> Fits yeah.
3: perfectly into he's, the box that we've designed for him. He's doing exactly what he's meant to, indeed. Uh, <laughs> everything
1: that's happened is supposed to happen, or whatever. Uh, yeah, we're talking about Tenet today. Uh, 2020 film directed by Christopher Nolan, written by Christopher Nolan. Uh, stars John David Washington as protagonist. Uh, Robert Pattinson, uh, Elizabeth Debicki, old Betty Debicki. <laughs> Dimple uh, Kapadia. Debicks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kenneth Branagh, uh, no stranger to this podcast. And now, the trailer to Tenet.
2: To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face.
0: As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III.
3: I'm not saying I'm again here.
0: No.
1: Something worse.
3: I gather
2: you have an interest... In a certain Russian national. Mike's bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future.
0: Time travel? No. Inversion.
2: Name it and pull the trigger. You're shooting the bullet. You're catching it.
0: I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. An unnamed CIA operative is recruited into a mysterious organization charged with preventing a coming Armageddon. Armed with only the keyword tenet, our protagonist, protagonist, uncovers a war between the future and the present. Sending items back through time like inverted time capsules, the future ignites a temporal cold war which threatens to annihilate all of existence. Everyone you've ever known, wiped out. Yes. Even that guy from Twilight. Protagonist must find the secret of inversion, so he can stop the future from becoming the future that sends future stuff back from the future, which could make the past into the future.
3: <laughs> uh, gentlemen, it's, it's uh, astounding how accurate that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not what you would call a smart man. <laughs> <If> I, <laughs> I, I process things, I think, a bit slower than the average person. And my brain was melting, <laughs> trying to parse the scenes in which things were happening both forwards and backwards in time. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I actually spent the, the, uh, my first go-through of this film um, very frustrated, both with the things narratively and, and, uh, and visually. Um, the second watch was much better. Um, I actually turned the subtitles on, which I'll get to that in a second, but, uh, I, I enjoyed myself immensely the second time around because, uh, the plot suddenly became, uh, much clearer. Everything going on with like Kenneth Branagh and Elizabeth Dubecki uh, became much clearer on the second pass. I was thoroughly confused on the two of those the first time around. <laughs> and I actually like everything that Robert Pattinson was doing in the climax, uh, I had somehow like completely missed. Uh, so I didn't I didn't notice like his big hero sacrifice or anything like Aaron actually had to explain to me what happened at the end after the movie was over. So it, it like it was it was a movie that like, for me, it was necessary to watch it twice just because like it was actually bugging me. That I didn't understand the movie enough, and obviously we're doing it for the podcast, so I, like I wanted to make sure I understood it. But I think ha- even if I wasn't doing the show, I probably would have done a second watch of it anyway, just because uh, like there's enough there in the, in in Christopher Nolan's you know his oeuvre that like it, every time I watch one of his movies, like it's never boring, mm-hmm. and it, there's always something to go back to. And, and I think this one, while very flawed. Um definitely uh you know has a bunch of stuff to go back to. So I I was this is this movie is one of the ones that I'm most looking forward to talking about on the show because it's just fascinating from beginning to end for good and bad reasons.
2: It does feel like uh like I, I don't mean it as a flex, but like when Inception came out, there was a lot of talk of like, oh, you won't be able to understand it. You won't get it on a first watch. You have to watch it twice. And, like, again, not, not like, a, a braggy, ooh, I'm an intellectual thing. I just, like, I watched it and was, like, I feel like it was pretty straightforward. You definitely yeah. glean more on a second watch as you would with any movie. But, like, I think the movie sets up its rules and plays within those rules in a way that is pretty, like, parsable and trackable. And it, it sort of feels to me like Christopher Nolan heard all these people saying, oh, you have to watch this movie twice to get it. And he was, like, you want to see a movie you have to watch twice <laughs> to get? I can make that movie. Like, yeah. hold my beer, I will make you a movie that you can't understand on a first watch. Um, and maybe that's where this, this came from. I found for me that, like, I felt like I was tracking all of the time travel stuff, maybe because it's, like, a thing that I'm very into and the thing I was most excited for. I was, like, eagle-eyed, paying attention to every little bit of setup for that. It was the, like, the spy plot that kept losing me. That, like, <laughs> we we paused the movie halfway through to make popcorn, and my wife and I had to go through it and be like, okay. So they were trying to get this MacGuffin for this person, and then that's related to this because, wait, this person sent them to this other person, and how does the plutonium factor in? The plutonium was at the opera? No, there wasn't plutonium. Why does he want the plutonium? And just, like, (laughs) trying to keep track of all of the, like... Interpersonal relationships and macguffins that were going on, like the time travel, was the least of my worries.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's <clears throat> that's uh, my my thoughts exactly, and and my note, which we'll we'll talk about more later. But the the part that's convoluted is, yeah, all the other stuff. the the the, the thing about uh, who's blackmailing who with counterfeit things that they sold. <laughs> to your own, like, selling counterfeit stuff to your own husband and somehow that's gonna come back to bite you in the ass but you wanted it to bite him in the ass It that is d- go backward through time, it like forward but different, I
3: tracked just fine
1: uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, especially
3: but- on the on the first go, like, I, I couldn't I wasn't picking up on uh, because we haven't met, like, Sator at that point, right? Like, Elizabeth no. Dubicki's husband like, y- y- so you don't she's just telling you about his husband and all and like dumping all this exposition on you. And like, yeah, like I like if we got a bunch of like cutaways uh, of like what happened and all that kind of stuff during her little uh, initial ramble, that might've been extremely helpful or, or at least, or if we had met the villain beforehand, uh, just so that we have an, an idea of who this guy is and why she's so afraid of him. Um, but yeah, like, the 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 first act, I guess, of the movie... I can't even tell you where the, the first act ends and the second act begins. But, like, <laughs> the first, like, 30 minutes of the movie is literally just the protagonist going from one person to another and just, like talking to a person and then that person says you need to go talk to another person and he goes to talk to that person and they go, I, I'm great, but you should really talk to that guy and he goes to talk to that guy <laughs> like and it's just I got I got frustrated because like this like it's it, the pacing of it wasn't very good because there was nothing there's no action type thing to really break it up that much except for I guess the the repelling into the uh, into the arms dealer building. That was about it. And even that wasn't a particularly exciting action scene. He doesn't even learn a new piece
2: of information from each person. Like, at least that would drive you to, like, okay, we're slowly unraveling this mystery. But they, like, explain how Inversion works in full in, like, the first person he talks to, and then the rest of them just keep telling him to go see other people, and he doesn't get a new nugget of information from any of them until he gets to the end of the chain. But it's like... There's a guy on a barge that sh- sends him to a scientist that sends him to Michael Caine. Uh, Michael Caine next and then Robert Pattinson and then an arms yeah. dealer and then the arms dealer's wife and then a different person's wife to finally get to the. That's eight people I just <laughs> listed mm-hmm. yeah. that he has to go through to finally get to the person who's important <laughs> to his quest. Good God.
3: <laughs> Sorry. No, I. I've, 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 yeah.
1: Both accurate points.
3: Yeah, I I think the the scientist scene is one of the scenes that I was most disappointed in, um, because. Don't think about like it too hard. It, well, yes, exactly, <laughs> right? Or just exp- just explain away the whole concept of the movie by saying "Don't think about it." That's an interesting choice, Mister Nolan. I'll tell you, uh, but like the, the for a time travel movie with like uh, with this interesting sort of quirk to it, like the idea that like. Um, item like a specific item itself could have could be running backwards through time that is a really cool concept that's the kind of Mm -hmm. concept that my star trek brain is all here for Mm -hmm. and when they spend the time uh explaining it to us it's 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 done quickly and not particularly interesting uh, and, and and that is a huge disappointment to Pretty clear. Like, I think Yeah. It's just like it's just like this is how this works. Uh, we're getting it out of the way um just so I can do my reverse time effects later on in the movie. B- that's, you know, there's b- no, that's basically there's no what care. it is. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's functionally what it is. It's them coming up with an excuse for them to have stuff going backwards at some point. Um yeah. and you can you can see that it's very Perfunctory, like it's it's the ex. The, the, as you said, the scientist literally at one point says, "Don't think about it too hard." Um. The thing is, that reminded me
2: so much of a similar scene in the movie Looper by Ryan Johnson, who is perfect and can do no wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I'll go to that for Ryan J- Johnson all day, every day. Uh, where Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt sit down in the diner and Joseph Gordon-Levitt starts asking how the time travel works and Bruce Willis is like, listen, we can sit here and make diagrams with straws on the table all day until we've got some idea of how this works, but none of it matters. And basically it's this, the equivalent of the same scene of him being like, don't think about it, it doesn't matter. But I And I love that scene in Looper because it legitimately doesn't matter to the story and there's enough character motivate like the story is not about the time travel mechanic it is about the characters and their motivations and their struggle and i feel like if you're gonna tell me not to think about the concept too hard you have to give me something else to care about and christopher nolan is not the kind of director who knows how to tell a human emotional story he is all about the concept and the clockwork and the way it all fits together so to have him tell me don't think about it's like but that's what i'm here for bud that's what you do that's
1: your thing yeah, this did make me wanna just watch and do a lot of other time travel stuff, like like uh I wanna watch Primer again, Sex Criminal's gonna read that again. But the big one has made me wanna play Braid. I don't know if you ever played the video game. Ooh, Braid, yeah, that's a good one. like yeah, because and that's what I I so I'm gonna to go to bat not bat, hang on, scratch that. This movie, I, I do like the premise and i am mostly on board for it. I, I see I felt like a lot of the comments that we'll have later, uh and just general stuff I saw online where people were were not big on it. And I thought, like, it gets a pass just for the turnstile. Like, they played around oh, with yeah. turnstile stuff, and I'm like, good enough for me, I, I am uh, satiated. Uh, and because I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a time travel movie that a lot of time travel stuff has, like, a teleportation element to it. Like, you just blink, go back, and there's no... The concept of just turning someone around and sending their entropy backwards... Is just as stupid as any other time travel idea, but like there's a sort of tactileness to it that I really like. Uh, and that's what made me also think of Braid, because again, Braid is a lot of like reversing the way your uh, um, character moves through the world, like going through the world backwards is part of it.
3: Yeah, and it, like Braid kind of opens up your brain to all sorts of possibilities about how to solve a puzzle. And if Nolan's film did a little bit of more of that, I think you know it would have been really interesting to you know if it if if the movie sort of hung itself on this is where I made jump the gun on Scott what we were talking about if it just, if, if, with if, it just because, if it just made itself like a really interesting heist movie where you know, the heist itself was all in reverse or was using the heist was part of these pincer movements that they, so <laughs> did I, did I hit the nail on the head there, Scott?
0: No, that is not my, uh, my, but, Okay, but, uh, <laughs> okay, but that is a good idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. doubling in more on the heisty nature, like making it w- at, at risk okay. of, of shifting into the second half, making it a little more time, tra- uh, mission impossible with time travel, would have yeah. probably made it more enjoyable for me. Um, which is
1: not to say I didn't enjoy it. My, note. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my I, I list
1: just... of notes, I'm like, I just wrote plus heist.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at least that jumps on someone's notes. Well, and I will <laughs> I will say I, this. I gotta... <laughs> this.
0: The reason why this movie works for me, for the most part, uh, why I would say that overall I enjoyed it is because it is simultaneously three kinds of movie I like. It is simultaneously an action spy movie. Uh, it is... A heist movie. And it is a, a, a clever time travel movie. And those are three kinds of movies I enjoy. And it is being all three of them at the same time. So I'm going to enjoy it at least on some level. Um, but that's yeah, maybe just, we got to
2: me- give it, uh, we got to give it props for like, uh, cause I, I feel like we're, I'm going to tear into it later. And so I want to on record that like, yeah. I love how big of a swing it takes in every a- arena. Like it, I would always rather watch a movie taking this big of swings and and you know to mixed or or even if you're being harsh failed results than I would want to see a safe bet that mostly succeeds you know like I I love how big it goes and how weird it gets and Christopher Nolan please
0: keep trying you'll you'll you <laughs> yeah. hit it you hit more than you miss bud <laughs> yeah he's definitely a director who likes to swing for the fences that's for sure
1: yeah it's it's not as his maybe his like best execute like best executed or best work but it like it it is such a great concept and so much of it is like oh this didn't make sense and that was stupid and this is a plot hole and i'm like yeah but i've seen transformers movies with people who say that kind of thing about them and like the only thing to fall back on is like big robots are cool where it's like this is kind of dumb and full of plot holes but is like people go backwards through time, and like your lungs have to exhale or whatever. Like, great, I love it. And you know, love it.
3: Well, I do. I do think that we need to um, broach his direction of this movie specifically uh, because of the sound design problem. That we hmm. kind of re- we referenced off the hop, it 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 cannot go unmentioned because it is uh, very distracting uh, throughout a good portion of the film, particularly when there are important plot points happening and the the mix of the either the the music or. The background uh sound effects going off in the background they're fighting with the dialogue too much um I know Scott you said that you're you were listening to it with the headphones and it wasn't quite as bad but it like for most people it it seems to have been a, a big problem and the thing the thing that I that baked my noodle about it is that like Christopher Nolan's say what you will about him but he's a very competent filmmaker So that means that the high audio mix was not a mistake, it was a choice that he made. And I can't, for the life of me, figure out why he made that choice. (laughs) So you gotta watch it twice? (laughs) <laughs> I guess like maybe you know COVID's going on we got to get people into the theaters a couple times to make our money back I don't know maybe that's is it is it that cynical I kind of doubt it like he's such a <laughs> he's such a, a a passionate man for the art of cinema so like he's like s- clearly he made the choice for a reason but like there's no there's no um th- like thematic reason I can think of to have that high audio mix yeah, or there's anything like, like three that
1: conversations that happen next to running boat motors. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not even an exaggeration. I think this, this segues into another uh, example of that. Like I had that same thought a lot in this movie of like, this is a guy who doesn't who, who everything he does is a choice. He's an auteur. He knows what he's doing. He's not, he's no slouch as a director if he does something it's cuz he chose to do it it's not it's not coincidental uh and the the one that got me was the the unnamed protagonist like like that they go out of their way to not give him a name and sort of almost introduce him a couple of times but you never hear it and i was convinced that that was going somewhere and would factor into the plot in a meaningful way it was like Chekhov's lack of a first name in like <laughs> you introduced this element that I was like all right can't wait to see that paid off and then it just didn't and like if it was just a, a whole like oh he's the protagonist of the story and that's the only like it's a it's an archetype thing it's such a like half-assed on the nose like okay I guess that's <laughs> something but like I there's got to be more to it I thought and his I code
0: a- name was protagonist, like because he's a spy. I thought uh, that's how I was reading it, but maybe oh, I was wild. just reading I into it. Didn't get that at all. <laughs> Again, maybe I was just reading into it. That's that's entirely possible. Uh,
3: I'll tell you what bugs me about it is that at, at one point Priya, the the um, arms dealer, um, tells him that he's only he's only a. Protagonist amongst protagonists, right? He's not the protagonist of the story. He, she mm-hmm. tells him that outright, uh, meaning that, like, there are many heroes uh, in, in this story. And then in the end, it turns out, like, he was the big protagonist. He was the guy that started she
1: it all. She also tells him that when two people come out of the turnstile, it's two people. Like, she also tells him that it's like, oh, you saw someone come out of a turnstile? That's the same person. Okay. Like she's she, that's the same two versions of the same person. So she, she's like, I felt like those lines actually tied together kind of nicely where she's like flat out telling him the other one that you saw is you dum." dum. Ah, like, there are multiple okay. protagonists. Um,
0: okay. I, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Chekhov's guns that don't go off because there's one that's <laughs> mentioned early on in the movie where, uh, Someone tells him, like, if you're, if you're running backwards in time, try not to encounter yourself. Because if you encounter yourself and you, like, touch each other, you're going to time cop all over the place. Like, it's going to be real gross. Mm-hmm. And number one, he fights himself spoiler alert, in the movie, and that does not happen. And also, that never comes up again, nor does it happen to anyone else. And that, <laughs> like, legitimately, I was like, oh, that's, that's clearly a Chekhov's gun, and that we're going to beat the villain by having him, like, accidentally yeah. touch himself and time cop all over the place. But nope, does not happen, never mentioned again, not <laughs> important to the plot. Why did we even bring it up?
3: Well, the reason that it's there is that he needs to be in a mask. And he needs to be—he needs to be unidentifiable when he co- goes to the turnstile, right? Fair enough. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I—I I, I agree with you that it should have happened. But sorry, sorry, go ahead, Robin. You had something. No, there. no, I
2: just—more movies need to ha- defeat the villain by having him accidentally touch himself. That's, yeah. That was a wild <laughs> turn of phrase just then. <laughs> Here's how we take down the Joker. I've got a—I've got a plan. <laughs> Follow my lead. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, it, it, uh, <laughs> there was a few of those, like, plants that didn't pay off, but the name one was the biggest for me that it just, like, and, I, like, it ties a little bit into fixes, but it's a minor one. I thought the the uh, one of the turns, one of the twists, the reveal that it turns out this whole organization was founded by the character that we have been watching get inducted into this organization. Like, later on in the future, he will found this organization that recruits himself. Uh, neat. Time twisty, brain melty, I like it. But it's, like a lot of things in this movie, the biggest issue I had was that it was very tell-don't-show. They they have a lot of scenes of dialogue exposition that don't, like, where they could have maybe shown us things. And, like, you would think that maybe we could, say, learn the name of the person who found it Tenet at some point... And then later on, we uh-huh. find out that the protagonist, whose name we haven't learned up until this point, he finally reveals his name, and it communicates to the audience without actually having to sit down and, and tell the audience that he founded Tenet. We put the pieces together and go, "Oh my God, he founds Tenet in the future." Here's, but here's the thing that that that'll really melt your noodle. Here's the yeah, thing that'll, that'll just... really
0: melt your noodle about that. Did he find? Did he found Tenet in the future because he was a member of
2: Tenet? I think absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Means this that tenant is a, cold, is a the, closed uh, loop.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Even just the, the name suggestion uh, um, is, is a great note, and I think that's a perfect time to uh, go over to uh, our notes when we hear from our sponsor.
0: This episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Offering internet, electricity and natural gas with low rates, awesome service and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for no obligations comparisons by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing and you can feel good knowing you're helping give back to your community. community with your utilities bills. Learn more right now at parkpower.ca. With ATB Cares, giving is easy. Donate through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities, maximizing the impact of your donation. Visit ATBcares.com to choose your cause and donate today. Looking for a way to give back? ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Alberta charities. To learn more and donate,
1: visit ATBcares.com. And we are back with I Have Some Notes. Let's sink our teeth into Tenet.
3: Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, Maybe give the main character, I don't know, a little heart. Yeah. (laughs) Let's start with that. A name, a personality,
2: uh, uh, (laughs) any any reason to care, any reason for him to care about his goals and for us to care about him,
1: either, (laughs) both. He has one character trait that I I noticed because I also went back. I didn't go back and watch it twice, but I watched the first little bit. And there is a thing in the um, opera where the fact that people are going to die, someone goes, not our mission. And he goes, well, it's my mission now. And that foreshadows that he's going to go back and try to save Cat. So he's, he's a bit of a, he's got a savior complex. He's going to save people if they're going to die. Yeah. He... That is And it also he likes Diet Coke. Those are the two <laughs> things we know about him.
0: <laughs> one of the, one of the early clues that Robert Pattinson knows more about him than, uh, than he's letting on. Um, he's, I never bought his interest in cat. Uh, like it, and this is, this is a failing of the movie. It, it's set up that there's maybe a little bit of a, of a, a sort of pseudo romantic thing there that he clearly cares about her because he's drawn her into this, kind of unwittingly and against her will. And I never, it never lands for me. I never really buy it. And maybe it's because he's, as you have pointed out, he's such a, a, a cold and flat character. Otherwise, he doesn't I, feel I, like he has any internal life. I
1: didn't buy the romance to the point where I don't even feel like they were setting up romance. I never got that. It was much more of like an empathetic, like I'm going to save this innocent person. Cause that's what I do. Cause I said that during the opera scene that I save innocent people. Fair enough. And and yeah,
0: maybe he, he, maybe I was does, reading
1: into it.
3: Uh, no, I think you're right, Scott. Because like he he does um, have a certain unreasonable amount of uh, pursuit of cat when it you know when her life was in danger after she gets reverse shot. They are basically telling him that if he goes back out there to try and. Just try and save her or whatever. Like he's, you know, he he could basically hand Sador the 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 thing, the very thing that they're trying to prevent him from getting. Um, so, like, I kind of, I, I like, I definitely picked up like the lilt of romantic subtext, but like, you know, that that's generally all you're you're getting in a Nolan film, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, and maybe, that was, maybe that's what I was hanging, hanging up on. Yeah, before yeah. we
2: were recording, we talked a little bit about Nolan's like what he's good at is high concept and intricate uh set pieces and what he generally struggles with is like humanity emotion you know personal stakes and 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 showing the like giving us a window into the character's heart and soul and a reason to care about them and he succeeds and fails at it to varying degrees in varying movies i feel like i've never seen him with it as hard as he does in this movie and like it's best exemplified by them talking about the stakes of the cl- of the finale. That like if they get this algorithm and and enact it, it's it might unmake all of time and like uh, obliterate everyone on the face of the earth. And the female lead says, including my son. Yeah, including everyone's son, including literally everyone. Is this your attempt to try and humanize the story? Boy, was that the swing and a miss. He'd
3: be like, no, no, actually, weirdly, through a weird quirker of thermal dynamics, your son will be the only person left on planet Earth. Weird. Have a real Twilight
0: Zone, now I got time for my book scenario going on. It'll
3: be just him.
0: So I've got... Real Omega Man. Two things to say about the relationships in this movie. Uh, one, the relationship between Cat and Sador is very well done. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's very it's very abusive, and it's uh, very uh, heavy handed on the power dynamic between the two of them. But it feels like a lived in abusive relationship, and I I dug it, um, and I bought it. The other relationship that really works in this movie is between Neil and protagonist. But the weird thing is, it's kind of one way. Uh, Robert Pattinson is very good in this movie. I want to say that straight Hell up. Hell yeah. And uh, I I buy the relationship between the two of them from him, but less from protagonist. And that may just be because, spoiler alert, Robert Pattinson has been in this relationship longer than protagonist at this point. And so it it feels like... Like, I got a huge bro feel from it. And I, I felt a little bit of a, bi- a bit of love between the two of them uh, at times. And I, I dug that too. But other than those two relationships, there's not really much else going on in this movie. We talked about the string
2: of dialogue scenes at the beginning and just, like, having to go to a character to go to another character, go to another. And at least, like, some of them you couldn't necessarily excise. What was Michael Caine doing in this film? <laughs> Why was he necessary to, like, he was the one that only popped in for one scene as if to be like hi i'm here for my paycheck and that I'm could here have because been... it's a Christopher Nolan film and and you expect me to be here so hello
0: like uh, yeah you could have trimmed him out and you could have had priya be the person who gave him the the painting and the mission to go on that cuz she's already around like yeah. or we didn't need the michael
1: kane something to do uh, he's the guy on the boat who explains the hand gesture to him yeah, that would be fine, too, yeah. Because who's, who's the guy who finds him after, like, when he's like, oh, you took the CIA pill it was, or the test, the, the suicide test or whatever? That could have been Michael Cade, and that other guy can take a walk. Yeah, Combine some of your old white men into one old white man, yeah, Christopher
2: Nolan. I, I,
3: one change I thought mm-hmm. about while I was um, watching through it the second time was that um, maybe ditch the, the scientist lady altogether and just give that role to Robert Pattinson and have Robert Pattinson be the person guiding the fish out of water that is protagonist through
0: all that stuff. You don't even need to tip your hand earlier on that he's necessarily already deep in the tenant organization because he mentions at one point that he's got a master's degree in physics so he Mm -hmm. could have been the scientist and then like Uh, protagonist just recruits him to help him out and he turns out to be super competent. And then later on, Oh, it's because he's also a spy that you recruited. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he was here and he was here for your onboarding because he's your friend like that. That makes sense.
3: I don't even necessarily mind if he, if he's knows more about tenant than protagonist does at the beginning, because there's kind of like a neat, Sort of like a serendipitous sort of thing at the you still get that at the end where it, it turns out that protagonist is had actually recruited him and and he taught yeah, they they taught Neil each everything other. he knows, and then Neil Neil taught him, taught everything, every, he him everything he knows, so there's like this weird uh paradox going on, which actually would have like been a, kind I, of fun. I dig
1: that actually, I like that a lot. I think I know this from a graph Robin made, but that's the bootstrap paradox, isn't it? That's the, like, when you do the thing that Hell gives yeah, you it the is. thing that, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we made a bunch of promotional posters of how you just, de- how did you destroy the timeline with the various paradoxes you could enact by time traveling, and yeah, that is, that is absolutely what that is. Uh, name for Robert Heinlein's by his bootstraps, I think, which is also, if I'm not mistaken, is where the pull yourself up by your bootstraps comes from, but it might be the other way around. Uh, Oh ironic that i can't remember which came first because (laughs) the paradox the paradox (laughs) comes
0: from the fact that the information doesn't come from outside of the of the loop and because nobody gains the information independently and the information is uh contingent on the loop continuing the information never existed anywhere else and thus a paradox is created you
2: can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, bootstraps yeah boom I I feel like this movie takes a very big swing, and so in preparing my notes and fixes for this movie, I wanted to take an equally big swing at how to how to fix it. Um, do we have an order? Can I jump in? Yeah, go, please, for, go, it, go for it. Go for it. I think this movie needs to take uh, like like it does a lot of things right conceptually uh, and like set piece wise. There's some very cool the airport uh, whole airport set piece rules the art heist the the way the vault is structured crashing a real plane. All of that's great. The reverse fight, the reverse car chase. A lot of it works really well, um, but a lot of the uh, the storytelling and, and exposition falters, as we've discussed. I think this movie needs to take the approach of uh, of a little film called The Matrix. Uh, <laughs> and I, you all, you all grew up in the same general no, I'm, I'm era, not, era. I'm as not me. familiar
0: with this movie. Please tell me more.
2: <laughs> you remember the the marketing around the Matrix was all all based around like it wasn't like, hey, here's this movie about a virtual reality simulation and how the entire world is simulation. The the marketing was very viral and was what is the Matrix? Go to whatisthematrix.com. We're all trying to figure it out. What is the Matrix? And then you watch the movie and like a good portion of the film is Keanu Reeves slowly teasing out what The Matrix is little by little, and it's, you know, there's an action set piece, and then he learns a little more, and there's a character beat, and then he learns a little more. And it's not until, like, well into the film that he finally figures out what it is. And even then, he he figures it out in pieces. He learns about the simulation aspect, then later he learns about how to, like, break the rules of the code and how you can do all the cool wire foo stuff. Like, it, most of the movie The Matrix is figuring out what The Matrix is, I feel like Tenet should have gone the same way. We th- this movie has a huge missed opportunity in explaining what inversion is and what Tenet is in like the second or third scene. That's wild to me. Uh and I feel like we could have uh had a much more interesting and more compelling movie on our hands if the main plot and the main mystery he was trying to figure out involved him trying to figure out what inversion is and what tenet is and what it all means and he could still be going through most of the same beats and unraveling this plot about Seder without yet knowing all of the details about what Seder is involved in and what that means like just save all of that reveal for closer to the end and you get a way more compelling uh story that also has room to get in some character beats to let your characters sort of breathe and relate to one another and we get to learn why we care about them and why they care about what they're doing. Uh, we can cut a lot of, a lot of the, uh, extraneous set pieces and push a lot of them towards the end so that you have this really killer build up to a, like a crescendo at the end of the movie where all of the cool time travel shit happens. Uh, that's, that's my big pitch. (laughs) Yeah. I like that.
0: Uh, that dovetails really great into my big pitch. Uh, Because my big pitch was, why not make the movie a palindrome? Yeah. <laughs> Go all in. So the first half of the movie is learning what inversion is and what tenant is. And while they're doing that, there's stuff going on in the background, but they don't understand what it is and we don't understand what it is. And then at the halfway movie, when they are able to invert, they then start moving back through the plot backwards to the beginning of the movie. And we see what was going on in the background from their new perspective, because they're now going backwards through the film. And the movie ends at the same place it begins, And, but, but we've got the completely different perspective of them having moved through time backwards to get back to the beginning and save the world. And I think that your idea and my idea kind of work really well together because in the first half, yeah, because the first half of the movie is them trying to figure out what the time travel thing is. And the second half of the movie is them using it to go back and stop the end of the world from happening, which already happened in the first half. We just didn't understand it was happening. Absolutely. That would also fix a thing.
2: I feel like this movie drops you into a set piece at the opera house that is very hard to parse and doesn't Mm -hmm. make a lot of sense. But
0: if the movie also ended at the opera house, but from the other perspective, and now it makes sense that there's something bigger going on there. Yeah. There would be a reason why it was so confusing the first time around. It's foreshadowing and
2: it's planting for later payoff instead of just being a very confusing set piece that seems unrelated to the plot, but then maybe isn't. Uh, I I like this a lot better. I was going to suggest separating it more and having it just be an unrelated mission that has nothing to do with Tenet uh, and is just Mm -hmm. the way that he proves himself is, you know, he does this mission, he takes his pill like a good boy and... And boom, he gets to know about Tenet, but I think your fix is stronger
0: but which which it, that is how it starts it's him taking his pill and learning about Tenet, but it's also the place where they saved the world it's just that that was also happening at the same time, and they didn't know it at the time yeah um, absolutely i think it'd be really, th-
3: it'd be it'd be super interesting if there's quite a sort of like a a switch of sides in that in uh in the first in the first sequence at the at the opera house if that's indeed where we want it to take place uh you know, the, the protagonist is actually working with the Sator side. And then as we go through the movie, he ends up sort of like switching so that at the, at the end, he ends up, he ends up working against himself. And then, and then we can use the destroy, touch yourself, destroy yourself thing where that is essentially the end of the end of the film where, where uh, he makes the choice to sort of sacrifice himself. He has to sacri- sacrifice himself for reasons. And, I disagree. And we get that sort of like time cop moment where he destroys himself by touching I, himself. I disagree. I don't
0: think that should happen because I think that the movie should be a closed loop, so that it it does in fact end at the same place it began. And if you then started the movie over, it would be, it would loop back over basically. If he destroys yeah. himself at the end, he changes the timeline. If he Fair. doesn't, if if however he maybe forces Seder to destroy himself during that time during that moment i don't know but then Seder's not in the rest of the movie because the movie has to make sense either way right you could yeah. do
2: it in such a way that it it pulls a donnie darko and it's a closed loop that also like loops itself out of existence it is it is a closed loop that will go on forever but also never happened because of the result of its own loop
0: maybe you know, that's possible <laughs> I don't know. I th- I just think if you're going to tell a clever time travel movie where things are moving forward and backwards, and you're going to name it Tenet because Tenet is a palindrome, why not make the movie a palindrome? That was basically my thought. So yeah. that makes uh, sense.
1: Two two thoughts on that. One, I think I, this this uh, fits nicely into my fix, which was uncomplicate the spy plot. Just <laughs> less <laughs> less complicated spy plot. Clearer character motivations. It can really actually be if if you had the spy plot on paper without any of the time travel stuff, it should be like verging on boring and predictable because you're going to complicate it lots with all the time travel stuff, having a complicated spy plot that you then overcomplicate with it. So yeah, I, I think this this uh, makes a good opportunity for that. Uh, however, uh, to that end of the palindrome thing, I was talking with my uh, pal Olav, who will have comments from later, um, about this film. He's been on the show previously. He argues that it is a palindrome already. Um,, uh, the rhythm of the cuts, the way they are cut, the way it's shot, it he 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 sort of uh, maybe when we get him on again, next time we'll get him to articulate this better than I am, but he argues that it is a, a bit of a palindrome, um intentionally, and that the first act does mirror the second act. Uh, and then I argued. I'm like, no, the first act is him just talking to Michael Caine for no reason. He's like, just go back and watch it. And and he suggests it, that there is. <laughs> it might
0: be <laughs> yeah. it might be a thematic palindrome, but I think uh, I think it should be more object like and it and should be obviously a literal, a literal palindrome, literal palindrome where they move through the, the plot forwards and then they flip and they move through the plot backwards. Yeah. I think that that would be more interesting, and it would it I would also... be very timey wimey. And I would love to see it. <laughs>
2: I would throw out there, I, I think a big part of where a lot of the confusion comes in is uh it, it, like the more people we get moving forward and backwards through time, the harder any of it is to keep track of. And while I don't want to do the like, well, it was hard for me to wrap my head or like, you know, I can I'm an adult, I can watch it twice if I need to. But like, I feel like it does the movie a disservice. The more the more stuff going both ways we have, the less I can appreciate any of it and how clever it is. I feel like you pull a Ghostbusters uh, where you establish early on that objects can be sent back through time, but people cannot survive that process. Like, inverting a person would have too many complications. The backwards air moving through your lungs. Hot turns to cold. It's all crazy. You can't send a person back in time. And then at the, the emotional height of the movie, when all of the stakes are at their highest they make the decision that that's exactly what they have to do. They have to go back in time. They have to cross the streams. Even though we said at the beginning that that's the one thing you never do, now it's the one thing we have to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like that would both... You could pare down the number of people moving both ways and just have it be you do one big inversion like Scott was suggesting. Like, it, we, we invert a grand total of once and then we get to see it all from the other perspective. And that has a weight to it. It's it's the thing that you can't come back from.
0: Yeah. In so doing,
2: you... No, oh, sorry. Go
0: ahead. <laughs> no, I was, I was, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I thought no, go. you were done your point. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to say is one of the the best, one of the best set pieces in this movie is seeing the plane heist from the other perspective. And yeah. so my fix is basically why not run the that is the microcosm for the new movie is you see the first half of the plane heist for the for the beginning of the movie, then you see the second half for the the second half of the movie. It's just yeah. on a grand scale. Absolutely, yeah.
2: I think also you get an opportunity if if you do that, go with that thing of like, inverting is, you know, whether or not it actually turns out to be it's like, oh, inverting a person would be suicide, you'd never come back from that. And then maybe they find a way to come back from it. And it, you know, it becomes a loop. Uh, but by giving it that weight, you mirror the protagonist and the antagonist's motivations, the antagonist's whole deal is that he has terminal cancer, he can't survive, and he wants to take the whole world with him. Because if I can't live, then no one should get to live. No, If I can't have her, no one can. The protagonist, meanwhile, is willing to sacrifice himself purely altruistically. He believes that everyone else's lives are more important than his, and he'll lay his down for, like, the greater good. And you get a perfect mirror of the two, uh, fatalism versus altruism thing, that I think would... would read a lot clearer than what we got in the film like that you could argue that that is there in the film but it's not spelled out to any degree that i felt like was
3: yeah (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't particularly satisfying at any rate
2: yeah i felt like satyr's motivations were very very well done and very like clearly established but the heroes
3: weren't and i would love to mirror
2: (laughs) the antagonist a little more and maybe that would make me care about our hero
1: yeah, as a as a fellow four-foot man, I can uh, definitely appreciate uh, Satyr's uh, lust for a very <laughs> tall woman. <laughs> that was very relatable.
2: I feel like also I, your fix Scott maybe takes care of some of the problem of I felt like a lot of the turn the twists in this movie were telegraphed a long way out like because we learn about inversion so early on, you can't help but start to be like, "Oh, well, she's the one who jumps off the boat at the end." Yeah. Like that's Yeah that that's where that's going for sure. And he's fighting himself in the airport. And like by teasing out that mystery for longer and then saving all that stuff for the second half, you maybe don't realize those turns a full hour before they're coming kind of thing.
3: Yeah. Maybe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know. They're absolutely right. Uh, the movie, the movie plays its hand, uh, very liberally and not very close to its chest. And so you can anybody who who's seen a time travel movie before, you can definitely see some of the stuff coming before it happens. And yeah, if you if you you're right, if you save the time travel reveal to the halfway point, then some of that stuff doesn't isn't quite so obvious right off the right off the. You're
2: jump. not thinking about it for an hour before you get to it. You like exactly. as soon as you learn that it's a time travel movie, we're already <laughs> seeing those payoffs, and we don't yep. have a, t- a chance to think
0: about them. Exactly.
3: Well, I'm all for any fix that involves getting rid of the nuclear bunker uh, climax because <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> who who like, were they shooting at who were the enemies yeah in that? were they, they shooting just at? vaguely are why, like, like they all look like they're dressed in the exact same uniform like the enemies and the the good guys alike and yeah it, it's just and like the the setting itself was um far from interesting and and there was so much you know sort of like Reverse and forward stuff happening at the same time that my brain just kind of stopped caring. Like it just, it just decided that everything was going forward and that was that. You know, it didn't really, it didn't really feel special in any way. Like there was no, it just didn't uh, interest me at all. It didn't feel like a really neat special effect or anything like that. It was, um, it was just kind of, yeah. It just, it was just a poor setting for a climax that didn't work, and uh, it didn't really. It didn't really get better until it got until they all got into that little bunker where the uh, the the actual machine was the the yeah and the time were time machines yeah, and then yeah. then everything became a little bit more clearer to understand, but yeah it, uh, it,
2: it did a disservice to their twists as well because you have a couple of reveals near the end of like, hey, by the way, you founded Tenet, and also I'm about to go back and die for you and all of those landed to me with like not a not a lack of uh, understanding, but just like a oh okay. I, like, sure, I guess. You, so that was you in there and you died, but you're about to go in and die? Okay. Like, at this point, so many things have flipped so many times that this doesn't have emotional weight to me anymore. And I feel like it, it uh, was one of the the bigger turns of the movie. It should have landed harder and maybe it could if, if it uh, wasn't so muddied by all of these random army men <laughs> that we have to deal with now. Yeah.
0: Now that's, that's one of the reasons why I like starting the movie and ending the movie at the opera house uh, better because the opera house is definitely a much more interesting and dynamic set piece. And and you're, it's also part of uh, the look. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right that if there's stuff going on during that opening scene, that is very confusing to both the protagonist and to us, then having the payoff later on be now getting to see it from the other side and everything makes much more sense in context. That's, that's, that's what the movie's building up to, right? That's the big payoff. Scene. Absolutely, and it's it's a much better third act climax than what we got.
2: Plus, it's part of the. I don't know if you guys you guys know about the the Sator Square thing that a bunch of the names in the movie are taken from this this palindrome square. There's like a Latin palindrome Seder Arepo Tenet Opera Rotas that is like a bunch of the names from the, the, you know, there's the opera house and there's Sater and there's Arepa was the guy who was conning the art and they're all from this Latin palindrome. And like, there's, there's no uh, desert bunker in the, in that palindrome. That's not in there. It's opera. <laughs> no? The movie should end at the opera house.
0: I actually, I did uh, get that Sater and Rotas were, uh, were reversed versions of, uh, of the same name. Uh, and I caught that during the course of the movie,
1: but uh, that was
0: yeah. the only one that mm-hmm. I caught.
1: Even the fact that Neil was at the Opera House, it wasn't until I went back and watched the first act again. I didn't watch the whole thing a second time, just went and watched Opera House again. I'm like, oh, that's what was going on there. Because, like, yeah, I was even expecting kind of what you were describing it, our fix to be as you're as I'm watching the Opera House. I'm like, oh, this will make sense by the end of it. And it kind of didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think I have- we've got some great uh, fixes in. And our listeners also had a lot of thoughts Uh, So we're going to jump right into those. Thank you to everyone who uh, contributed. Uh, As always, when we solicit those on Facebook and Twitter, you write them, we read (laughs) them. Sylvia Douglas comments, my favorite review on Letterboxd. Nolan is so afraid of having a flop, he designed a movie you need to watch twice. (laughs) Uh, Sylvia forgets uh, who who said that, can't credit them properly, but somewhere on Letterboxd um continues uh, I did not feel the need to watch it twice it was disappointing enough the first time
0: I didn't find it disappointing I thought it was I thought it was fun I don't I don't know that it was necessarily like uh like a five star film but uh definitely like a good solid three star at least enjoyable enjoyable yeah. romp it, it was disappointing
2: in the way that like the kid who always gets A's on every report card gets a B and his parents are disappointed. You know, like, it's a B. That's pretty good. And it's like, yeah, but we expect more from you. And with Christopher Nolan, like, I, I expect more from you. You let me down a little bit, bud.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris comments, I don't think watching stuff in reverse was visually interesting enough to hang a whole movie on. The reverse car chase just looked like a car chase and the reverse shooting and punching mostly just looked like reverse shooting and punching.
2: Hard disagree. That fight scene ruled. Yeah, the yeah. fight scene was
0: sick. Well, again, uh, the the high point of the movie is seeing the uh, is the airport heist and then the reverse airport heist, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, that's I I think that was great, and I think that the rest of the movie should have been that. That's basically
3: what my fix was. So absolutely, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I didn't I, I didn't really find the reverse forward fight particularly i don't know it just and nothing about it like was really um highly interesting to me visually like like i guess like it it was interesting to see play out as a concept but like it's not something that like there's better ways i've seen uh you know time fights work like you know for the matrix or something like that like there's just more interesting ways of 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 working through a, through a fight scene than the way that he's done it here. Um, so, yeah, I can kind of get where Chris is coming from. I might be
2: biased from watching it with
1: my fight choreographer wife, that I was like, no, yeah. oh, I'm invested in this because you're really invested in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it and then I saw Robin and Lane. I'm like, Lenny, you should watch it too. There's a fight, there's a part that you'd, you, yeah. I I I was even just delighted when it came back the second time. We're like, oh, it's the same in reverse. Like I knew it was coming, but it was just fun to. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> same thing twice. Right, yeah. um, I'm easily pleased, I guess. Uh, Robin from cinematological comments, uh, pretentious. Uh, <clears throat> Robin from actually, I'm just since we gotta cut this anyway. Portent, port is. Did he mean to
3: write portentous? I don't know. That's I. I always I tripped on that too. Is it? Pre- been is he might have meant pretentious. Portentious. I think he meant pretentious, but That's it is a, I it's would, a time
1: travel movie, so it is also portentous.
0: I feel like
2: you um, should put this um, in or, this or
1: like, like portent. <laughs> So we can keep this in uh,
3: <laughs> wait what story, is port- ramen, i don't even know what portent a typo is. or right, a, s- a sign or warning that something especially something momentous or calamitous is likely oh. to happen oh it's definitely a word i just don't know <laughs> if he meant it. i know but I, it's like i don't yeah. i didn't know what it meant okay. so that's why i'm looking it
1: up i i think because it comes right before bloated i think he meant pretentious and bloated that's what i think. but it is also as a time travel film portentous and bloated Uh, It has nothing to say, and what it does say can't be heard clearly. Uh, Example 201, why Nolan should have someone else design the action sequences.
0: Yeah, I I mean, one of the things that we were kind of hung up on was that, as Greg put it, the movie didn't really have any heart. Um, And we've already kind of discussed how Nolan, as a filmmaker, isn't really interested in themes. He's interested in um, concepts. He's interested in ex- in the execution of something interesting and not so much in in exploring the human condition. And that's fair. I mean, there's a place for that in cinema. Um, but yeah, it, it makes for movies that generally are kind of a little emotionally flat, but very
1: visually spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Let Me Bitch Bitch, uh, the podcast, at Let Me Bitch Bitch, uh, comments... The plot caved in on itself before the midway point, and I lost track of who or what the antagonist was until the last ten minutes. Uh, he's been riding high on Dark Knight hype for too long. I vote we banish him. <laughs> Hang I mean, on. That the,
3: the antagonist—they me. lost track of.
1: Yeah, because it's pretty yeah. clearly sater through
0: most yeah. of the film. <laughs> Must have protagonist. <laughs> no, I th- I feel
2: like as much as you you know who he is, figuring out what he's trying to do. I, I definitely lost track as well. Yep. Like, wait, why okay. does he want the plutonium? Or is he just pretending to want the plutonium?
1: That's oh, because
2: it's part N- of the thing. Yeah. Okay.
1: And we all commented, like, who are they shooting at in the nuclear bunker? Like, also yeah, true. Little, yeah. 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 That's fair. So, no, that's, that's fair. A lot uh, to lose track of. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> time travel will do that. Uh, Nathan Martin says, I didn't want to risk my life to go to a theater to see it. Fair and valid. Uh, To be honest, the attitude of the filmmaker was what put me off. Even though it was clearly in the pandemic, it still reminded me that there's a reason why it's called show business, because certain people really wanted us moviegoers to see it in a theater. The tone-deaf attitude of the director having a fit in the trades because WB was putting... Uh, it in a streaming service made it worse and no, the video of Tom Cruise going by himself to see it in a theater did not make me want to see it more. (laughs) I'll get around to it one day, but it's not high on my list. I hear it's okay.
0: It is indeed. Okay. Okay.
3: Yeah. That's not something we've touched on at all as like Chris, Chris Nolan's sort of, um, whining. Yeah, <laughs> you know when this movie was released, and that that definitely did not um, uh, increase my respect for him as a as a person at all. Like, a, you know, like maybe yeah, I respect you as a filmmaker, but like, um, yeah, pretentious is a good word.
2: You crash a a real jet into an airport and you and film it on IMAX cameras, and you're like, I would really like you guys to watch this the way. That I intend, like, I I crashed a jet for you. Please watch it on the big screen. But also, like, read the room, dude. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Dude, like, you've had
3: enough hits, bud. Like, just if that matters to you that much,
2: pull a James (laughs) Bond and just be like, you know what? It's coming out in three years. You're going to have to wait for it.
3: Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Can you imagine
1: if this was like theaters are opening up this week? Probably not a great idea, but nevertheless, no. theaters are opening up this week. Uh, and if this was the first movie back, like we missed last summer, we missed a chunk of this summer. People would have gone to see it. Yeah. Seasons, it. This, this would be the first movie back. Everyone's vaxxed up. We're gonna watch Tenet. It'd be that. It'd be a cultural touchstone. But well, they I know. forced.
0: Yeah. Sorry, and I will grant that the movie probably is better on the big screen, but I mean, mm-hmm. movies can be enjoyed on any screen. It doesn't necessarily need to be in the theater, and that's, I mean, I, I enjoy movies on my big screen TV on my couch with my wife, and I, I don't feel the need to be in the theater for it. I like being in the theater, but that's, that's not what I go to movies
1: for. You guys bragging about your beautiful wives All
2: right. you guys see that uh, that video of the guy who or the person who hacked it to run on a tenant to run on a Game Boy Advance out of sheer spite <laughs> the smallest screen possible I, uh, kudos to you whoever you
1: are Andrew Craig says I think this is the first time you've done one I haven't seen gotcha Andrew ding Boom. ding ding, ding, ding. I, you guys the balloons have fallen for your in your apartments yeah? in your oh. face Andrew in your face <laughs> We have did it. We finally did it. This is the last one.
3: Wait, no. Okay. Uh, seriously though, least, Andrew's probably are really loyal. Like I, there are very few movies that we've done that Andrew hasn't contributed a, a comment to. So I don't know if this it would, he may probably didn't expect me to put this in the show, but yeah, like, I just thought it was worth mentioning because uh, he's 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 been one of our most loyal commenters.
0: Uh, that said, Andrew,
3: it's probably
0: worth checking out. Like, it might not be your cup of tea, and I totally get that. Obviously, many of our commenters didn't enjoy this movie, but uh, (laughs) I I would say it's definitely worth seeing at least once. There's a lot of movies that I've seen in my time where I'm like, I, I, I am happy that I watched that movie. I don't think I liked it, but I'm glad I watched it. And I think that this, at the very least, might be that.
1: Uh, Evan T. Adnam says, uh, enjoyable, but also sometimes with his films feels like Nolan is just like jerking off and we get to watch him do it I'm okay with it because it's usually pretty good but also a bit too self pleasuring if that makes sense it does make sense but you might want to have checked the one sentence before the other uh, <laughs> I, I know he's I got more train of thought yeah, yeah. Um, like if it weren't so well executed it would be embarrassing but it's also embarrassing because it's so full of itself so it is well executed also could be called timecode but more accessible to Hollywood blockbuster audiences
0: I said in the chat uh, between Greg and Liam and I that we have running as we watch these movies that Nolan really Nolaned this movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what I feel Evan is saying here. Like I think we were both on the same page when we when he said this and I said that. This is a very Nolan movie, and it is the most Nolan movie that I've seen in a long time.
2: It's his best qualities and his worst qualities dialed up to 11. If like everything you love about him is, is firing on all cylinders. <laughs> everything you hate about him is really shit in the
1: bed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, since a lot of these comments were uh, not, not the keenest on uh, Tenet, I, I did reach out to a friend of the show, Olav because um, he uh, very much enjoyed this movie. So these are uh, some comments Olav shared with me that I, I thought worth sharing as well. Tenant is the apotheosis of what Christopher Nolan has tried to do with cinema. His cinematic obsessions have to do with time, the distortion of it, with wealth and the distortion it creates, and with the structure of narrative and how one can distort that too. Tenant plays with all of these themes. While it has flaws, particularly surrounding the representation of women, on these three aspects, Nolan succeeds. In terms of structure, it is almost a perfect palindrome of a movie. The cuts, rhythm of the cuts, and narrative elements... The first half of the film mirrors the second half. Time is the palette on which Nolan paints. Uh, Cinema is just his canvas. Time is the palette with which Nolan paints. Time is just his canvas.
0: Um, Yeah. Insightful. And I hadn't, uh, having only seen the movie once, I I didn't really catch that. Uh, beat for beat the second half of the movie mirrors the first half of the movie I still think that it should literally mirror the first half of the movie and that my Mm -hmm. my suggestion for a fix to make it a more literal palindrome as opposed to a metaphorical palindrome uh, stands, Olav
1: it stands and it could be done, we saw it happen in Endgame we saw that, that's exactly what Endgame is is characters going back through a movie we just watched and (laughs) yeah (laughs) it could be done um, cool. Well, uh, thanks, uh, thanks a bunch, Robin, for joining us uh, this evening. Or yeah, thank you for having me. I,
2: I can't get over. I I want to be there when Olav hears you say that this movie could have been improved
0: by being more like Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: feel like you would have some opinions about that. Uh,
1: but yeah, no, no, I'm saying it done me. in Endgame. <laughs>
0: Liam has just jeopardized his friendship with Olav. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> he sure has. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. I'm always, I always
2: love being here to talk about anything, but especially time travel. And hey, if you like podcasts, listen to mine. Liam's on it. It's good. It's called Quantum Kickflip. We play a role-playing game called Slug Blaster. It's like D&D, but more multidimensional. Honestly, if Tenet was your bag, Slug Blaster would probably be as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a super fun show, action-packed, hilarious. We do all kinds of crazy multiversal adventuring, and it's a
0: lot of fun. Does it have chronal pincer attacks? Uh, Not yet. Not out but, of the I question. Mean, <laughs> spoilers.
1: I uh, actually I was listening to our most recent episode and was like this sort of and I know it's my a podcast I'm a part of but just like this really does seem like Degrassi Junior High meets into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> like it's <laughs> how
2: oh man, how do you get a better review than that? I I shouldn't have said anything and just let you lead with that line cold cuz honestly, what more do you need to hear? Go to quantumkickflip.com already.
1: Download the episodes. <laughs> uh and also head over to uh, at I Have Some Notes on all the social media platforms and places you get podcasts. If you can leave us a review on those places you get your podcasts, it would really help us out.
0: Yeah. And uh, since our last episode, when we brought up the uh, lack of an I Have Some Notes Instagram account, Greg went and set one up. So <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it's at I Have Some Notes pod. Uh, so, yeah, go follow us on Instagram. We're there. Doing all the Instagram things. So, uh,
0: grizzled time travel action spies are pretty cool, but are they representative of the modern man? You can find out by tuning into fellow Alberta Podcast Network podcast Modern Manhood, a show about the changing nature of masculinity. You can find that and more right now at
3: albertapodcastnetwork.com And in two weeks, um, we're gonna take another, another swing at the old Will Smith with, uh, iRobot, and, uh, <laughs> You'll, uh, you'll see uh, or hear uh, the dulcet tones of Olaf Rockney on that episode as well. So yeah. come back in two weeks for it. Uh, until then, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Get vaccinated, Black Lives Matter, and keep watching the sky.